Well, good morning, church. I know that you're not here today, but you are here online. And I am grateful that we are able still to be able to worship the Lord in this manner through the use of technology. You know, before we begin today, I'd like to read our sermon text from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. If you have a Bible with you uh, on your phone app, wherever you are, please grab it as well, and we can follow along in our text today. Given our particular circumstances that we are facing right now, I want to say that this text that we happen to be on right now is just amazingly providential for us. This is the word of God, brothers and sisters. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You know, today, church, after enjoying a number of months of restricted in-person church gatherings, I find myself today once again preaching to a camera separated from all of you. You know, since the announcement, I've felt all sorts of things from frustration, depression, determination, and then fatigue, a whole host of emotions, and I'm sure you have as well. And I want to ask, you know, how long will this go on for? You know, my strong opinions that I had, I'm sure that many of you hold as well through the midst of this pandemic, I've literally had to take to the Lord. I've had to bring them before God and in prayer. And I have to be able to say, I think it's with the, the psalmist, that the Lord himself, oh God, has been my stronghold, uh, has been my shield, my defender, my protector, and my very light of my salvation during this time especially in the long watches of the night when you can't sleep and you're thinking and you're praying and you have nobody to turn to as the whole world sleeps except the Lord God himself. And the Lord really is close to those who call on him and those uh, who are in desperate need. Honestly, this pandemic season, if I you know, can say, has really been, I think, uh, simultaneously an exciting time, but also uh, an extremely draining time. I think it's been draining because of the fact that simple things, like when we were gathering, of where people even sit in the church have to all be meticulously planned out in advance. Protocols have to be followed. They have to be reviewed. New announcements that are made need to be scrutinized and so on. All the normal things that happen in life now take an extra amount of effort. Pastoring is weird, you know, having to do this digitally through Zoom and other Uh, means rather than seeing people face to face and enjoying the company of fellow believers. In a time in which people are now at home and experiencing the effects of this lockdowns and suffering mentally, the number of people who are struggling has only increased while our time, our energy, and our resources have only seemed to decrease. 
I mention these things not to garner pity from anyone who is listening here, but really just to paint a stark picture of the reality which we are facing as a result of this. You know, I uh, have talked to a number of leaders who have been grappling with what to do in the midst of this pandemic and a number of pastors who are really struggling as well. I had a pastor whose church has never been able to meet throughout this whole time write to me to just let me know he's absolutely done. Yeah, I mean, with preaching to a camera and can't wait for this thing to be over. I've listened and heard stories of staff members from other churches who have lost their jobs and as a result uh, of COVID-19 now are looking for outside employment, not sure if they will ever return to their churches in the same capacity they were at before. I've actually listened with sorrow in my heart to church leaders who are already struggling pre-pandemic and now through this, are facing the prospect of having no congregation left by the time that they return to in-person gatherings again. And as I think about all these things in light of this, and I look at us as Westland Baptist Church, I realize that we who have a number of members who continue to serve behind the scenes faithfully, whether that's in tech here or ministering to people, giving them phone calls, caring for them through Zoom small groups or classes that we are running, or even today as you look at the beautiful Christmas decorations that are behind me, I realize we really do have a lot to be thankful for, for the faithful sacrifice of God's people. You know, it's been such a joy to my heart to see in these past number of weeks and months our brothers and sisters in the Russian language ministry who have been gathering and ministering to those, I mean, who have had nowhere else to go, you know, in the midst of this pandemic and speak Russian. To those of you who are there, I say, I'm so grateful to call you my brothers and sisters, not because we speak the same language, but because we are family in Jesus Christ. And for those of you who come from Zende Church, I want to say salam to you as well. I'm so grateful to have come to know you guys also in the last number of weeks and months as we have met together in the building. It's been such a joy actually to my heart at 2 p.m. to be able to sit down at a piano, to learn new Farsi worship songs, to feel the beauty of worship in another culture, to think that this is what worship will be like one day before the King of Kings as we stand around his throne with a great multitude of people. Though I don't fully understand the words, I know the object of our affection and our praise is the same. And so I play music to the glory of God. I'm very encouraged listening to a number of you talk about how you left behind Islam and are now followers of Jesus and are more than willing to pay the cost. Such a joy, so much to be thankful for, brothers and sisters, during this period. Yet in all this, I have to say, it has been a hard season. There's no doubt about it. And I still feel in my heart, and I want to say as the psalmist said, how long, O Lord? How long, O God? How long will this continue on? Do you not see, O Lord, how cruelly this pandemic pharaoh is treating your children? Do you not hear your children's cries, O God? I feel like the psalmist did in Psalm 119, verse 92, who said, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. And as I've poured out my soul to the Lord during this time and run to his precious promises, I've found this strange observation in Psalm 119, verse 71 to be true. It says, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. You know, overall, when I think about it, this pandemic affliction with all of its difficulties 
has been good because it has driven me and many others in our church and beyond to dependency on God in prayer. And I cry out with Paul as I think about what that apostle said, as we work and as we labor, who is sufficient for these things? I've learned the importance of praying without ceasing and going to God in my times of greatest need and struggle. I've learned the necessity of what Paul says in 1 Timothy to pray for our leaders and all those who are in high positions. Despite my struggles with the provincial health orders, I found my heart changing as I took my burdens and my concerns to the Lord in prayer. Truly only the warmth of prayer can actually melt an icy heart and warm it so that it can pray. You know, I found myself actually sympathizing as I prayed with Adrian Dix, Bonnie Henry, and John Horgan, our leaders. You know, their job is actually incredibly tough, especially more so when you get newspapers and opinions and ads publishing about your work, documenting your own lives and publishing personal things for everyone to see. You know, I read some articles published in the Vancouver Sun in the past about Adrian Dix, his successes, but also his past failures, and about how in 1998, for example, he forged a memo that he regrets actually to this day, how also he struggled in his early years with alcohol. I read an article in the New York Times that documented the life of Bonnie Henry and the incredible things that she has done in her career as a medical doctor, but also noted the immense personal cost of her job and how she was married for 20 years, but separated five years ago and never had children. So I read these things, and I want to ask you, you know, brothers and sisters, do you realize that our leaders in our province are people too? And they have all the same difficulties, struggles, weaknesses, worries, and griefs as you and I do as well, and are desperately as well in need of the grace of God. You know, had I myself not suffered and felt the challenges of leadership at this particular time, I don't think I would have been as sympathetic, nor would I have understood why the apostle insisted that those who have decision-making authority and are in positions of leadership desperately need prayers. You know, I'd like to say right now, and I mean to Mr. Dix and Ms. Henry, wherever they are, no matter, no matter how we might think privately as believers on this pandemic and this particular state of affairs, I and other Christians are praying for you as you struggle to give leadership during this time. And we are praying that God's will would be done. And I want you to know that if you should ever listen to something like this, that as you serve other people and you find yourselves perhaps at the very ends of your rope as well, that you can always come here and that we will reserve a socially distanced chair for you here at Westland Baptist Church should you find yourself in need of the divine grace of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and anybody who comes to him, he will give rest. There is hope for people here without exception. You know, but in the meantime, brothers and sisters, we who are believers in Jesus Christ and are unable to meet 
because of these new restrictions. The question for us remains as to what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to think during these odd times? What are we supposed to do when we are unable to meet, we feel isolated from our brothers and sisters in Christ who are our family? And I think that today God's word for us in this text explained to us perfectly what it is that we need to do. God knows our current situation, and His exhortation in His Word today is that we are to pray. To pray to our Father who is in secret. Our Father who knows all of our needs, even before we ask Him, and who promises to reward us and to answer our prayers. It is here right now in our social isolation that our Father in heaven wants to meet us with His divine consolation. The question is for us, do we believe this text of Scripture here today? Do we believe that this is actually true? You know, there's a story told about a small town that was alcohol-free, and then a local businessman wanted to build a pub or a bar, a local tavern, And Christians in the local church were so concerned about this that they held an all-night prayer vigil asking God to intervene. And as the story goes, shortly afterwards, there was a lightning storm, and lightning struck the tavern, basically, and burnt it to a crisp. Now, what was interesting is that the bar owner afterwards tried to sue the church, arguing that they were responsible for the damages that occurred to his tavern. Well, the church actually hired a lawyer to fight back against this, arguing that they were not responsible. You know, the judge who was overseeing the case, after reviewing the initial facts, said, no matter how this case comes out, one thing is clear. The tavern owner believes in prayer, and the Christians do not. You know, I tell that story, actually, because I think that it accurately describes both Vancouver Christians and Vancouver non-Christians. Non-Christians in that they often believe more in spiritual things than they're willing to let on, and Christians in that we actually believe less in spiritual things than we actually claim to, like the power of prayer. I mean, there's so many intelligent, well-spoken non-Christians that I have had the privilege of speaking to in our city who would identify themselves as spiritual, yet not religious. I think of the lady on a bus as well, who is reading and studying the works of Eckhart Tolle. I think of the ex-president of UBC, Stephen Toop, who is quoting from the Hindu scriptures in a commencement address. I think of an Indian man discussing his faith today with a Jewish rabbi. So many of these things. Odd, so bizarre when you think about it. Especially considering that in the 20th century, social scientists We're theorizing and thinking that as human beings advance, we would eventually leave behind the need to have the crutch of the mythology of religion and we'll be free from such things. And yet here we find ourselves educated, well-spoken people who are still craving something that goes beyond the material world. You know, this pandemic has taught us anything right now. It's that we really do believe that relationships matter and that we have this deep sense that the relationships that we cultivate in this world go beyond not just our lives, but we think actually echo in eternity. And if this pandemic has taught us anything, it's that we are incomplete without intimacy. We need other people. We need social relationships in our lives. We're built for intimacy. And what we crave is for something or someone beyond us 
to tell us that life is more than just existing and feeding ourselves and living and going to work. You know, for those of us who are Christians and followers of Jesus Christ, we have an answer to this question. And we can declare the truth about this. And that is the reason that we long for relationships, the reason that we long for intimacy is not because we have some sort of DNA programming that drives us to do so, but it's because our Father who is in heaven, our Creator God, built us to be in relationship with one another and ultimately with Himself. And therefore, that is the reason why human beings, it is not good for them to be alone, just as our triune God is not alone. As Christians, you know, we are to pursue God, and yet, sadly, we all know that oftentimes in our sinful hearts, we pursue pleasures that lead us to harm rather than the spiritual pursuits that lead us to wholeness. You know, God has commanded us to pray, but many times we actually, like those people in that story about the tavern of God, don't actually really believe, unfortunately, that prayer works or that God actually hears us, and therefore we do not pray as we ought. But our Father in heaven calls us today to pray, to seek His face, And the question for us is that, as believers, how are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to pray? Why should we do this? And what will will happen to us? What should we expect as we go to the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer and call on His name? In order to answer these questions, let's go back to the beginning of our passage and read verses 5 and 6 together to begin looking for some answers. Brothers and sisters, Jesus speaking here says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You know, here we have Jesus teaching his disciples, how and how not to pray. You know, last week in verses 1 to 4, we saw that giving to the needy to gain the praise of others rather than God was wrong. And here we see that the same holds true for our prayer, for our prayers. I think we've lost our screen back there, guys. Let's see if we can fix that. But as we read this, I realize I think it's important for us to understand that Jesus is not against public prayer. You know, Jesus himself in the Gospels has prayed multiple times in public. You know, he prayed actually before the feeding of the 5,000. We see him as as well praying before the tomb of Lazarus, calling on the name of his father for his disciples' sake. We see actually Jesus praying at uh, his baptism. And as he comes out of the water, he prays to his Father, and the heavens are open, and God approves of him and responds, showing his pleasure in his beloved Son. There's so many times that Jesus prays in public. So I think it's fair for us to say that the problem is not public prayer. The problem, rather, is self-serving public prayer that is designed to get the praise from people who admire you and steal glory and honor that that should be due to God alone. That's the problem here. And if you think about this, brothers and sisters, 
This is an outrageous insult to the dignity and the glory of God, to His immense value as our Creator. You know, just stop and think for a moment. Imagine a brilliant photographer who's about to propose to his fiancée, and he goes and he decorates this outdoor gazebo. He sets it up with flowers. He lays out a spread of a fabulous gourmet dinner. He hides cameras everywhere to sort of document the moment, and he has flowers. And then he leads his fiancée to this blindfolded to the gazebo, and then he takes it off, and he drops down to one knee, and he presents to her a ring and says, Will you marry me? And in response... In joy and absolute amazement, she cries out, Yes, I will marry you. And then they sit down together for the meal. However, instead of talking to her, he begins uploading all the videos of his proposal to his Instagram account. And as she tries to talk with him, he waves at her not to interrupt him. As he's too engrossed in looking at his phone liking and commenting back to all the people around the world who are following his account and giving him an incredible amount of congratulations and, wow, great job on his account for his incredible photography and his proposal. You know, question for you is, if that was you, how would you feel? I think that you would feel hurt, insulted, and used, actually. You'd feel crushed, actually, because in that moment, you would realize that your fiancé actually doesn't love you so much as he loves the praise and adulation and the affection of all his fans around the world. He loves more so the praise that he gets from being with you rather than you yourself. See, and this is the problem with fancy, public, and eloquent prayers that are designed to impress people with your so-called godliness. What it does is it actually insults the greatness and the dignity of God by turning Him, the one who is the sovereign over all the universe, into nothing more than a prop and a tool to be that you pretend to love in order to acquire praise from the mouths of fellow creatures. You use him to get that admiration that is due to God alone. And so you sin. People think you love God when you actually love yourself. See, Christian character is who you are when nobody actually sees you. And one of the greatest compliments you can ever reach, receive as a Christian is not, hey, that was a great message, or, oh, she's such an amazing hard worker and such a servant. But rather, he is the same person at home as he is in church and outside. Now, does this mean perfection? No. It means, though, that daily we are striving, O oh God, to, before God to kill our sin, to put it to death, and to live well before the Lord and before other people. The prayer of the Christian heart is, God, do not let me drink of the spiritual alcohol that is so intoxicating in this world, and that is the praise and the favor of man. But teach me, O oh God, instead to be satisfied with your goodness and to drink deeply from your spirit and to be satisfied with nothing less than you and you alone. See, that's the prayer of the Christian heart. A Christian wants God for God, not as the means for, towards anything else. 
This is why Jesus teaches here, when you pray, go to your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. See, if your soul does not delight in God, you will find this task to be burdensome and unpleasant. But if you love God, your prayer closet will actually be your soul's delight. There's a story told about the American president, Lyndon Johnson, who once invited one of his aides, Bill Moyers, to the family dinner at the White House. And because Bill was an ordained minister, he asked him to pray for, his me- pray for the meal. And so as Bill prayed, the president strained to hear and then spoke, snapped at him and said, Hey, Bill, speak up. Can't hear you. To which Mr. Moyer replied to the president, I wasn't speaking to you, Mr. President. Do you see what prayer is? Prayer is speaking to God. It's talking with our Father who is in heaven, who hears us even when we whisper or when our lips move, but no sound comes out. He hears. He knows. And He promises as our Father to reward those who call on His name. You know, of all people, Jesus' life and ministry were completely bathed in prayer. You know, we read how in the beginning of Mark, that even though he was extremely busy with ministry, he would rise very early in the morning while it was still dark and go away to a desolate place to pray and to spend time with his Father. Now, before choosing the 12 disciples, we also read that he prayed all night to his Father God. And after the feeding of the 5,000, what does he do? He retreats by himself to a mountain to pray. And he prays and prays and doesn't leave until something like 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. in the night when he watches his disciples struggling through a storm on the Sea of Galilee and goes to them to save them. In Gethsemane, we read that on the night he was betrayed, his last night on earth, he pleaded with his father to let this cup pass from him even as his disciples slept. See, he prays all the time. Prayer was foundational to his life. Secret prayer was important to Jesus, and so it should also be important to us as his disciples. See, intimacy with God is the very bedrock of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Hey, brothers and sisters, you who are listening today, do you pray? Do you pray and do you have intimacy with the God who has made you and who is your father and redeemed your life from the pit? And how I wish for all of us that God would grow in our hearts more and more so a desire to pray and to teach us the sweetness and the savor of having a sweet hour in prayer with the Lord God Almighty. You know, these verses here that we just read taught us the goal of prayer. And how we are to go to our Father who is in secret and promise us here that our Father in heaven will reward us. But the question that remains for us is how? How are we to do this? How are we supposed to pray? And also, what should we pray for? Look with me at verses 7 to 8 now. The text says here, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, in these verses, Jesus identifies here a very pagan practice of prayer. 
And given that the, the deities in uh, the ancient world really didn't care for you, they had their own lives to live, and you had to be convincing them of your needs, you know, either through uh, using magic formulas or repetition or trying to convince them and compel them to do something, you can really understand why uh, Gentiles praying might be rather repetitive or noisy. You can actually see this in the Old Testament, for example, when you have Elijah facing off with the priests of Baal and how the priests of Baal, trying to get Baal to hear them, actually end up cutting themselves, yelling out for the whole day, basically begging their God to act for them. You see, they have to do this. You know why? It's because they, they need to convince their God to act for them. Maybe they just do enough, God will do something for them. But this is not so actually with the Christian God, not the God who is our Father. Why? The answer is found in the last half of verse 8 here, and that is your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Your Father, it says, knows. See, a God who is your caring Father does not need to be manipulated or compelled to act. For all of you who are parents, you know what this is like, right? The minute your children cry in distress, the minute that your baby wakes up in the middle of the night crying, you're there right away. You run to them. You find out how they're doing, and you want to take care of them. How much more so with God? You know, we do this because we love them. And God comes running to us as well because He loves us. Our Father, our Father knows what we need even before the words have left our lips. Now, let me be clear here that Jesus is not forbidding long prayers, okay? I think Jesus himself, we see in the scriptures, prayed all night. He prayed long. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we told also that he repeated his prayer, let this cup pass from me three times as well. In fact, Jesus actually commends persistent prayer in Luke chapter 11 as he speaks about the parable of this persistent friend who won't take no for an answer and wakes up his friend in the middle of the night. See, the problem is not how many words you use when you pray, but rather how earnest your need actually is, how genuine you are, and how much desperately you want God, Lord, to act for you. The question is, do you take your needs to your Father in prayer? Brothers and sisters, do you realize just what a privilege it is to be able to have such direct access to our Father God through this means of prayer? You know, a number of years ago, when my son was four years old, I noticed that at church, he started calling me Pastor Sam. And at first, I was rather surprised. And I thought, like, where did, he, where did he get that from? Why is he doing this? And then I realized that as a child, it was because that he saw all the other people in the church referring to me as Pastor Sam and addressing me with his title. And he thought that the only way that he could get my attention was to wait with everybody else and then, when it was his turn to be able to say, Pastor Sam, you know, the truth of the matter is that my son always has direct access to me, and he can refer to me with a privileged title that nobody else can use, no other boy can use, and that is Daddy. He can say the words, Daddy, and I will stop what I am doing when he has a need and attend to him first, because I love him, and he is my own child. He knows that daddy will always give him what is best and that he always has direct access to me. You know, when we think about this as Christians, brothers and sisters, 
Is this not the privilege that we have as children of the living God? We who are His sons and His daughters, direct access. You know, when we come to Him and we say, Father, does He snap at us and say, excuse me? Just remember that when you're talking, it's Almighty, Holy, Lord God, Father to you. Get in line with everybody else. Does he say to us when we come to him in prayer, I'm sorry, the average wait time is six hours. Please stay on the line or leave a callback number and you will be attended to in priority sequence. Is that how the Father treats us? Absolutely not. Father is always there, always available, always willing, always loving, and always there to attend to the cries of his children. That's what he says in his word. And I love what Tim Keller says about prayer. The only person who dares to wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And we have that kind of access. Do you believe that, brothers and sisters, that you actually have that kind of access to the throne room of the king? You know, furthermore, when our Father moves in response to our pleas and petitions, should we not even expect that mountains would move? You know, when I answer my children's pleas, and petitions to me to come and play with them and to help them win in a game against their friends. You should see how they shout with delight and anticipation as daddy comes to play with them, and now they're going to win because they know I'm way smarter, way stronger than all of their friends, and that if daddy's on their team, this game is done because I'm bigger, I'm stronger, and I'm faster than any five-year-old, and they have no chance against me. How much more true is this for us as Christians? who call on our Father God to come and step into the game of life with us. You know, your burdens too great for you to candle. Are they too difficult for you to bear alone? And then you, child, should just step aside and call to your Father Almighty and let Him come from heaven to fight for you. You know, Jesus declared that the prayer of faith could move mountains. The book of James tells us that Elijah was a man. The great prophet was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently for three and a half years that it would not rain, and the heavens remained shuddered because of this man's prayers. You know, brothers and sisters, do not underestimate the mighty power of secret prayer that comes before the Lord. In Acts chapter 12, we read that it was a mighty angel that brought Peter out of prison. But one thing we must not forget is that it was prayer that brought the mighty angel from heaven. So, brothers and sisters, do you see how powerful prayer is and that therefore we must pray, 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 pray? Now, perhaps I know a number of you might be saying, yes, Sam, I know, I do pray But sometimes it just feels like God is not answering, you know. Sometimes it just feels like He's not hearing me. Does He always hear me? Or is it like 50% of the time? You know, there's a quote from a Bill Hybels book that I read a number of years ago that I think is helpful. Even though Bill Hybels himself, I think, has utterly disgraced the ministry by his own sinful conduct. 
I think the quote is still helpful. It goes like this with regards to prayer. If the request is wrong, God says no. If the timing is wrong, God says slow. If you are wrong, God says grow. But if the request is right, the timing is right, and you are right, God says go. I think that's right, actually. Sometimes we don't receive because, as James says, we ask wrongly to spend it on our passions, and the answer is no. Sometimes God in his love delays and allows the Lazarus in our life to die so that he can perform a miracle by raising him from the dead in our lives. And so he says, slow, even though we want it fast. Other times, God says to us when we say, God, please take this thorn from me. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Child, I want you to grow. And other times, when all that lines up, our God responds to our prayers to say, Oh God, let the whole world know that you are God. And he sends fire down from the heavens in the sight of all that burns everything up. And people around us say, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Sometimes he does say, Go in response to our prayers. All this to say, brothers and sisters, is that the Bible is very clear that God always hears his children's prayers. And he always answers them, even if he doesn't give us the answer that we might like at this particular time. And if secret prayer, brothers and sisters, can truly move mountains and summon angels from heaven, you understand that all of God's saints from the least to the greatest, including bedridden grandmothers. All who pray on their knees are amongst the most fearsome warriors and deadliest people on the planet because they summon the help of God Almighty with their prayers. I love what Sidlow Baxter once said about the power of prayer. He said, Men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. You know, I know many a praying grandmother and mother who have literally prayed their wayward children into the kingdom as they've gone to heaven knocking on the gates of God himself with their tears and their prayers. You know, it was the Catholic Mary, Queen of Scotland, who reportedly said, of the great Protestant church leader, John Knox, whom she opposed. I fear John Knox's prayers more than an army of 10,000 men. You know, it was preacher Thomas Lye who said, I had rather stand against the canons of the wicked than against the prayers of the righteous. Why would you say something like that? You'd only say something like that if you really believe that prayer summoned the Lord God himself. And brothers and sisters, I want to ask, do you realize the power of prayer? Do you realize the power that is in our God? God calls us to pray as his believers. And fervent, secret prayer calls our Father to our side. And his power is immense. You know, are you lonely today and missing the fellowship of believers? Are you so overwhelmed in this pandemic that you can barely get anything done in the day? 
Is life just so tough that you just don't see how you're going to make it? You know what Jesus says here? Go to your prayer closet. Go to him in secret prayer and call on the name of the Lord your God, for he hears you. He hears your cries. He loves you. He's for you. He wants to answer you. And he delights in serving his children. He says he knows your needs even before you ask him. Will you not go to him and find comfort for your own soul today from your friend who sticks closer than any brother? You know, I began this message by talking about my own struggles and frustrations and my own desperate prayers to God during this season. But despite how difficult this season has been, I have to say that my Lord's grace has been greater still. I remember a number of weeks ago when I just felt so low and so burdened by the work and the difficulty. And as I was praying on my knees and to the Lord over the course of a few days, the Lord actually moved four people, separate people from outside the church, a number of them from outside of our country, to message me, phone me, text me, basically say that they were just praying for me in this particular time. No particular reason why, just that somehow or another that God had moved them to pray. Some I hadn't spoken to in years. One I didn't even know. So strange. I look at them and I go, God, do you not see? Yes, he does. Yes, you do see, God. You are the God who sees me. Just as you saw Hagar who cried to you and then named the well that she was next to that spring of water. Beher lahai roi, the well of the living one who sees me. Oh, yes, God, you do see. He does see you even now. And as I look back on my past, and this pandemic time through the eyes of faith, I realized, brothers and sisters, we actually do have a lot to be thankful for. I never imagined that God would use the fear of death through this pandemic to lead a person to faith in our neighborhood and that we would baptize here in our church. You know, a while back, I was talking with Shaw and Sina, who both became Christians this year and were baptized in our church. Brother Sina was baptized on the second last Sunday at our church before we shut down due to the pandemic. And Shaw was baptized at the height of the pandemic in July in a uh, socially distant service and with me wearing a face mask. You know, the conversation that we were having, I remember that, that time was really funny because Sina and I, I remember, were describing to Shaw in detail what a normal post-service fellowship meal in the church fellowship hall looked like because he had never seen anything like this before. You know, we would describe to him, I remember, the long tables that were filled with food. We described to him the sounds of the clinking chairs, you know, and how the boom the tables make when you slam the legs together or you're trying to set them up. We had to describe as well what it was like to see the bustle of activity as the people in the kitchen passed food out through the serving window, you know, and then collected dishes to be brought back in and as people scrubbed and did all these things. We described to him the sound of children screaming and running through the halls and through the courtyard as if they owned this place. You know, all these things. You know, what it was like to celebrate a birthday together, to light the candles, you know, and to sing songs in English and in Russian and so on. You know, all these things that had to be described in detail, all because you never experienced it. You know, I miss it actually so much. I miss the singing. I miss seeing all of your faces. I miss being able to, as the scriptures say, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody to the Lord in our hearts together and to feel God's presence and see the joy on 
people's faces as they gather together with their family in Christ, as they eat together and they encourage each other, as they study the Bible together, as they ask each other how you're doing, as they pray for each other on Sundays. I miss being in people's homes. I miss having people over at my home. So many things. And brothers and sisters, I know that you miss it too. I know you miss gathering with the people of God and that you too long for this day to end. I hope that you're praying with me right now that one day things will get back to normal and that we as a church will be able to worship the Lord together in the way that we used to and that our brother Shaw might be able to have his very first meal with his Christian family. And in that day, his faith in our words about how great it is to be able to do so will actually become sight as he too experiences the joy of what it is like to gather together as the people of God to glorify him whether we eat or whether we drink together or worship. But the truth of the matter is, brothers and sisters, even though we all want this pandemic to end and for life to return back to normal, Can I remind us here that normal is not what we ultimately want or need? We must never forget that our ultimate hope and our joy is not actually here on this earth, but is in heaven where God is. In the last two years at Westland Baptist Church, we have buried two saints, Liz and Sherbaniuk and Amelia Levshanova. These are faithful Christian ladies And as much as I want to sit and worship and eat together as a church family, where I ultimately want to be eating and celebrating is actually with them at the table of our Lord, seated with Jesus Christ, our precious Lord and Savior, together, united, never to be separated again in a land in which we will never again know sickness, suffering, pain, and death. What we want so badly on this earth is just a foretaste, don't ever forget that, of the greater joy that we want that can only be found in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, but so long as we are here, we must be faithful. You know, the Apostle Paul said that his desire was to depart and be with Christ, for that was far better. But so long as there was work for him to do here in the flesh, He he would remain and continue on for their progress and for their joy in the faith. And brothers and sisters, so long as God gives us breath every single day, so long as he keeps us here on this earth, there is work to be done as brothers and sisters in Christ. There are souls to be won for our master. There are Christians to encourage in the faith. There's a church of Jesus Christ to upbuild and lift up. And there is a God to glorify in all of our humble words and in our deeds. And may the world around us know that we are Christians by the love that we have for one another. There is work for us to do, brothers and sisters. And so may we not fail in discharging our duty before the great captain of our salvation. And in our times of greatest needs, he has promised to carry us through. Brothers and sisters, are your burdens today heavy? Is the weight great? Jesus calls out today to us through this text. Go to your father who is in secret and find rest for your soul. 
Call out to the God who loves you. Bring your needs before Him. Cast your anxieties and your worries on Him, knowing that He cares for you. And will you see the Lord, the God of heaven's armies, come to your side and answer your prayers? May that be the joy and ambition of our heart, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much, God, for the gospel of Jesus Christ and for the incredibly great and precious promises that are available to us through him. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, we are now your children who have the hope of full access to your throne room. Father, I know that you hear your children's cries, and I ask, O oh God, that you would help us to cultivate intimacy with you and to see the world through your eyes and to live as servants of the great King. God, would you help us just to delight, O oh God, in being in the closet and that these times of isolation would not be times of desolation for us, but times of immense, divine, surpassing consolation as you meet with us. God, there are no restrictions, no prisons in this world, O oh God, that are strong enough and powerful enough to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I pray, Father, would you teach us to enlighten you, to savor you, savor you, and to draw close to you in prayer. And would you use us, O oh God, as agents of hope and healing in a world that is isolated, broken, and hurting. In Jesus' name I pray.